Hello and welcome to Team Fight Talk Show. I am Doa. With me, as always, is Frodan. And today, our very special guest is none other than Kiting is Hard. How's it going, man? Like, is kiting always going to be hard? Like, when will it become easy? It's been hard for so long. Yep, it's just the way it is. All right. Well, we've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> Nothing more needs to be said. Okay. We've got a lot to talk about uh, on the show today. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in uh, TFT. But first, let's uh, get to know our, our guests a little bit more. Like, obviously, if you're into competitive TFT, you should know kiting is hard pretty well at uh, this point. You've been a lot of tournaments. You've been high in the ladder for a lot of times. But for, for those who may not be as familiar with you, Tell us how you got your start in just like competitive gaming in general and then like how all that led you to TFT. Yeah, so uh, I used to play a lot of League of Legends, which is uh, I'm, I'm not really mechanically talented or anything, but it was a fun way of passing time. And then uh, I found a game called Dota Auto Chess, which I just immediately clicked with. I really love the strategy aspect, you know, like building teams. It was just super, super fun for me. It was like the only game aside from League that I played. So when Riot announced that they were dropping the game, Using the characters that I loved from League of Legends with the playstyle of Dota Auto Chess, I knew I wanted to be a part of it. That's, That's similar to my story, actually. I was like playing a bit Auto Chess, and I was like, "Wait, there's a version with characters I actually know. I'm gonna go play that." And then yeah. it just ended up being <laughs> a better version. But Frodan, I haven't asked you how you're doing. How how's it going over there? Uh, it's doing great. You know, last time we did this episode, I was kind of like preemptively declaring that set four is, uh, you know, probably my favorite set. And it, it very much is living to that hype. I think the previous patch um, before today's uh, B patch that nerfed Ophelios and Spirit and Vagar was definitely a step in the direction that I personally don't enjoy very much. But I'm glad that they addressed some of the nerfs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm ready to talk about it because uh, I've been logging in games whenever I can. And I, and I feel pretty confident currently in where the set is currently going yeah we're all trying to climb and uh get up to masters where all the interesting games are and all that kind of stuff uh but yeah there was a little bit of a beach bee patch today we'll we'll talk about that uh actually we'll talk about that i think first it's it's a little bit farther on the farther no should we should we talk about it now no sure, let's, talk about it. let's talk about it now all right <laughs> yeah, so talk about the patch. i had to run it past our producer here see if that's okay but i think it, it will affect a lot of what we will talk about so i think it's good to mention right now so here is the uh, the uh, B patch. Uh, Adept got uh, changed a little bit. Is this? Uh, let's this see. Is 21. Yeah, this is not. This is not the 20 patch. So the B patch is a little bit different. It just had some character nerfs instead. So that was what a nerf to Aphilios, like you were saying, uh, Dan. And then what else was there? I'm trying to. Um, I believe it was a nerf to Vagar. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Ash and Vagar. Yeah. Yeah. Ash, Vagar, Aphelios, basically just a lot of the stuff that was causing people a bit of grief. And um, it worked out well because I was playing some games this afternoon. Things felt a little bit more balanced. Um, But now, Kiting, I know you had a very strong uh, opinion about uh, Aphelios specifically. It's uh, Did Uh, you you want to share that? Or are you willing to to go that far on the podcast? Yeah, yeah, I am. So uh, even before the changes, I was actually... uh... I was actually starting to think that Aphelios wasn't the best comp. Shocker, yeah. Yes, but... I agree. <laughs> sure. uh, I was seeing, I was seeing like full build Aphelios lose to Elderwood Ash all the time. I was losing to Kane twos, so I was already thinking like, you know what? This there's there are counters to it. Now it doesn't feel great, obviously, when your uh, your whole team just gets killed by a GA Aphelios while it's yes. already dead. But uh, I thought there were ways to play around it, so I was very happy to just let all the Aphelios players, you know, take the bottom twos in my solo queue lobbies. <laughs> And uh, with this new patch, I mean, I actually think it's, the comp is not forcible at all anymore. I don't think, like, uh, you can just go into a game with the mindset of, hey, I want to play Aphelios, and then pick Aphelios and even top four with it. I'd agree. He gets a lot less uh, turrets all the time. So when the GA is is uh, rolling, you're getting hit by, you know, like half the turrets you were before. Uh, here's the, the the little B patch on the screen right now, too. We mentioned the Ash nerf as well. Uh, Janna's mana got nerfed a little bit. Um, I didn't notice a big change. Like, if you wouldn't have told me this had happened and I didn't, like, right-click Janna, I wouldn't have noticed it in the games I played today. Um, but I, I, there is a little bit of difference there. And Vagar as well, like, you know, he wasn't one-shotting some weak stuff as easily as he was before, but I didn't notice a huge change in strength in that comp when I was playing it today. Mm-hmm. Um, has anyone had a chance to see, uh, to try out the, the spirit attack speed change? Has anyone played any spirit at comps today yet? Uh, so I actually did. I played a Spirit Z game. It still felt fine. Uh, it, I could feel that like my units were autoing a bit slower. It was somewhat noticeable, but it was still 
decently strong. I'd say Spirit Zed is still definitely top of the charts. All right. I mean, overall, I really like these changes because I, I don't think it uh, it really, aside from maybe the Aphelios comp, which, you know, maybe kind of needed to go anyway, I don't feel like it really eliminated strategies. It sort of just brought them in line to where other things can come up. Um, a lot of people have been talking about sharpshooters a lot lately, for instance, uh, when we were casting the Mortog 4v4 Madness this last week and Mort just like kept talking about sharpshooters and how that is going to be like the next big thing. He really believes in it. So uh, so what do you guys think? Does this serve, will this serve the purpose of being able to elevate to other comps and just make the meta more broad? Um, well, uh, for, for starters, I think the Ash nerf is definitely a good thing in that direction because anyone who's played against Elderwood knows those units just won't die. So any nerf to that comp is going to be helping out every other comp in the game. Mm -hmm. Dan? Um, yeah, it's just like, what, what it does, it just makes the power spike a little bit less oppressive. Um, there's like this real big problem with the current mid game where people are like trying to figure out what's the correct timing to transition from your chosen. So you like sell and you roll down. And when people that do hit punish you like crazy, like, you know, kind of mentioned Elderwoods don't die. Yeah. You take like 15 to 20 damage from Elderwood comps when they get online and, and you're like in the middle of transitioning. So it's really punishing. Uh, hopefully there's a little bit less of that but honestly i played some uh elderwood ash games today and i still steamrolled lobbies so it still seems yeah. like a very powerful comp it's not going anywhere i think that's fine um i i it's i love it when good comps still stay good but they get lowered a bit so other comps can come up that's in my opinion the best result you can have of any sort of balance patch um but let's talk about the future here so We've got a uh, a patch coming up, 10.21. I believe those are some of the hero changes on the screen right now. Uh, no, there's uh, the balance changes I think we're going to be the most interested in, which are the uh, trait changes. So there's a couple reworks in here, and then there's a couple uh, just straight up changes, nerfs, buffs, that kind of stuff. Uh, what, what do you want to talk about first, Frodan? You, you're having a reaction there. Um, so the first thing that I'm sad to see is that Divine is getting changed. I actually think there's a little bit more potential to Divine than people are giving it credit for. I think we've all yeah. learned that true damage is a really powerful thing. And like Divine offers you a little bit of everything right now. There's some players in EU that really love Divine. I think Volterius is like the, probably the most prominent player and likes playing Divine. And I study his profile extensively and his stream because I find it very fascinating as an opportunity to like pivot to like, let's say you want to play Wukong. You can also pivot to Talon. And it's a really interesting tree. So I feel like it's underexplored and they're like changing it entirely. So it's like, uh, well, maybe not entirely. It's still like ultimately taking um, yeah. you know, six times of instances and then and then having an activation. But I, I hope that Divine gets explored more because I think it's one of the most underrated traits right now. See, I'm going to turn that around on you and say that they were realizing where Divine was going and they were like, oh no, that's a lot of true damage. We better change it so it's kind of like chrono but with damage reduction and true damage basically um so i'm curious to see where this is go because it does change things quite a bit actually um and we did see those buffs to jacks in this last patch too so jacks is kind of coming up as a potential carry you can use a lot of items very well um kiting what, what when you look at the divine changes like what are you expecting to come out of this so uh, just from reading the numbers, it already looks amazing. Like 66% reduced damage and 50% bonus true damage. Those are yeah. crazy numbers. Like I think 50% true damage was already higher than the current four divine. And then 66% reduced damage is also crazy. Like currently it's 20, 25% reduced damage. Mm -hmm. So already I can see like four, six divine builds being incredibly strong. Um, as for why they changed it, I guess I kind of understand just because Adding extra divine units usually results in having a weaker board rather than a stronger one. And that's mostly because um, when you put in these divine units just to get the divine synergy, you're ending in the end game, you're putting in stuff like Wukong and Jax. And while a Jax 3 is still very good at, like late game, a Jax 2 and like a Wukong 2 might not be doing as much. So instead sure. of wanting to put in those strong units and getting a small damage bonus to your carries, you would rather just put in stronger units overall just to buff up your team. That makes sense. I, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Uh, I, I like I said, I don't know if it really. Excuse me. Wow, wow. I'm I'm a great host. Uh, I I don't know <laughs> if it necessarily. I know it's just one of those days. I don't know if it necessarily like needed a change. Uh, like like Fernand was saying, I feel like it maybe was just on the verge of being explored a little bit more. 
but this at least makes the trait i think more exciting um and a bit more uh, dynamic and and probably just a bit more fun because currently like you see a little bit of a difference you know when the divine trait activates and things like that but this this time you're going to really notice it and i think that's kind of one of the fun things about tft is like when you put traits together you want to be able to visually see something happen on the screen to kind of reflect that so i think this is definitely going to do it so it's at least going to be fun in that regard so uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that the other big trait change i wanted to talk about a little bit was moonlight um and and it didn't change all that much uh the big change is now there's a, a reason to go with all of the moonlight champions in one comp which is really interesting because uh they will all rank up instead of the lowest one so that's uh well that's something where it just kind of changes it completely right it opens up the option for a brand new comp right where you can still play it the same way we're playing it now right where you put the one chosen moonlight and then one other moonlight in there and then you build a comp around that probably diana right now but uh with this change you can get all four moonlight in there and then have one of them be chosen and then they will all upgrade so you could have a potential th situation where you have like four four star units on the board right am i am i reading this correctly uh i believe it's the three champions two three champions two they just uh two yeah oh they did okay so two never mind so two will upgrade yeah i was reading the old version of the new stuff but now i'm reading the new version of the new stuff still that's very good because again with items you can kind of guide which champions those are but looking at the synergies that all the different moonlight champions have like is it going to be worth it to run a comp like this uh, so I was just thinking about this like earlier before the podcast starts. I can actually realistically see a Diana Lissandra carry version come out because okay. uh, with the Aphelios nerfs and also because Aphelios is very item intensive and heavily reliant on four spirit to get going. I don't mm -hmm. think there's going to be enough room to fit all the moonlight units and the spirit units as well as like any extra units that you might want to put in. But uh, I can see like getting a Diana or Lissandra online early and splitting the items between. So like maybe tank items on Diana and AP items on Lissandra. And playing around both of them so that even late game, like everyone knows mid game, Diana 4 is already extremely strong. Even Diana 3 is already really good. And right. uh, late game now, you also have the out of putting extra items onto your Lissandra, three iteming her and have her be a relevant carry on top of having the Diana that you already have, which I think is a really cool way of buffing late game Moonlight. Yeah. Anything to add to that, Frodo? No, that's a good it's a good uh summary of it like stretch goals are always fun and, and it feel it always feels weird when you have like a lot of one thing and it doesn't feel like you're building towards anything so uh i think it's good both from competitive side just to open up more builds and also from uh the casuals that just like to play their favorite units and just try to build as high as they can vertically mm -hmm. any other uh any other changes on the list for the uh 1021 uh patch that jumps out at you frodan um i'll direct that towards you because i feel like we haven't had you talk as much this episode yet <laughs> well there's just a lot of change like the, the, yeah. the champions are getting buffed the traits are getting changed um you know there's probably some other quality of life stuff uh you know there's another stretch goal for for vanguards so now you get 1500 armor at eight i'm not sure if that means anything but um it's just a big patch so like it's really hard to say maybe there's just like some really obvious broken thing that's on this list, but you have to kind of parse through. Hopefully we don't have another uh, Jarvan situation from set 3.5. <laughs> you never know until people start really playing with it. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't gotten on the PB yet, but I, I'm really wondering about Divine. You know, that's kind of the one where I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. let's see how this goes, right? Uh, aside from that, um, just looking at the list, there's like a little bit of a buff to Lilia 1, a um, little bit of a nerf to Lilia 2, but not a, not a huge amount. Just kind of makes her like a smoother working champion throughout sort of the star levels. Um, Zillion? Year yeah. 3 Omega buffed. <laughs> From 2,000 to 8,888 damage. It's not really a secret that Mort has a uh, Discord server where he talks to all the top players. Mm -hmm. uh, from like Europe and and North America, and a lot of people kept saying like a zero three was so underwhelming. So more it's like, <laughs> all right, forget it. Then I'm just gonna make it like eight 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 and just like really make a zero three feel impactful because I have seen a zero three and I also have something to do nothing. So it's actually kind of funny that that's the case. It just runs people over now. Apparently, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Apparently, Aegon got a cane three in one of the uh, Mortog four v four madness games, but we didn't see it sadly, but it happened. Apparently it did happen. Uh, <laughs> let's take a look at um, a tier list that 
was put out by the game house that was kind of interesting they've been putting out some uh, some good content lately as far as that goes and i want to kind of talk about that to your list and how that might change uh even just today honestly let's talk about that first so i think <laughs> looking at this there's obviously one big change is that that's going to happen where the aphelios comp is going to just be gone from s tier at this point but uh kiting how do you see the rest of that kind of moving around a little bit do you agree with this tier list at all hmm well, I think uh, I agree with the Ash and the Spirit Zed being at the top, and I think uh, Dusk Riven is actually slightly lower now. I think Dusk Riven has a... Hmm. You can still make it work, but you definitely need six Dusk these days, and you have to stack Riven very differently from how she used to be played. Like You used to be able to just throw tank items on her and she'd be fine. Now sure. I think you actually need to invest some AP items and maybe a blue buff on her for her to actually do something. Um, overall, the list still looks pretty correct, yeah. Um, I personally don't think sharpshooters are that good, but uh, they have sharpshooters pretty high up right now. So I, I think mean, it can I, be. I think it's about to be. You know? Yeah, I can see it. Is the is the Annie icon like for mages in general, like Vagar? That, that's what I'm thinking. That must be like the six mage, nine mage build or something like that. It's a little yeah, bit confusing. Reroll mages. If you, yeah. uh, it says it's for um, yeah. TF3 and Annie and all that. Mm, right, right. The one thing I was surprised to see a minute from here was duelists. I think duelists have really risen up in a lot of popularity, um, largely because they are extremely flexible with like how you itemize them and how you even build them. You can totally play reroll. You could play fast eight, fast nine styles if you're win streaking really hard. Mm. Um, you can even just play like mid game slow roll at like level seven or eight and just like hit Callista three instead um, of trying to like rush for Yone or like make Yasu and Jax. Uh, duelists are really fun and really powerful and also pretty simple to play. So, like, I, I think that that would be the one comp I would add to this list. I've been seeing at least one duelist. Oh, an Wait, what? It's put at the very bottom, falling off the list? What? Oh, duelist my God. Yeah. That, it was Duelist Yasuo. You think Duelist falling off the list here? I was, so, during the tournament, I was actually experimenting a little, which is probably not the best time to experiment. But I'm fairly convinced that there is an unexplored duelist build that is the best in the game right now. And I, I don't know what it would be, but just mm. watching Callista in fights with like RFC, just rapid fire everything down really quickly. It's uh, I'm pretty sure there's something unexplored there that definitely has potential. People are trying it. There's like uh, I've seen the Callista builds. I've seen like like I was saying before, I've seen a duelist in every lobby I've been playing in the last like two or three days now. So there's a lot of testing going on. So I'm sure something's gonna pop out in the next uh, few days here. Because, yeah, I think it's good, too. I'm surprised it's not on the list there at all. Definitely mm -hmm. not falling off. <laughs> but uh, there's let's let's talk about uh, one more thing that uh, I know we all have very strong feelings about. It's a thread from uh, from good old Reddit that uh, it's it's uh, in case you're unfamiliar. If it's a thread that says uh, the title is players are surviving to the later stages of the game, regardless of how well they play, making the mid game ultra passive and end game extremely frustrating. Um, I have, I do feel like, I don't know how I feel completely on this. I do agree that I feel like I see more players surviving longer in games. Um, I feel like I don't know exactly why that is, but I do kind of like, and I, I'm shocked I'm saying this about a Reddit thread at all. This is, this is like a big moment for me. I hope you guys appreciate this, but I actually think this Reddit thread maybe has an, a good idea or two. You know, maybe the mid-game damage does need to change a little bit. Uh, Kiting, you like, when we were like chatting a bit before the show, you could not wait to talk about this. So yeah. so what are your thoughts on this? So I actually have a semi-hot take about this. I actually think cool. the damage system right now heavily rewards skillful early mid-game play. The reason for that is because, okay. let's say you're at 6-1, the difference between 16 HP and 19 HP is massive. That three points can be the difference between like a top four and a bottom four so easily. Just because with the way the damage works, if you're leaving three or four units alive, you're always going to be taking around 16 to 18 damage. So saving maybe five extra HP points can buy you a whole nother round, which gives you time to hit more things, which uh, mm -hmm. lets other people die before you and just raises your placement overall. So the way I actually approach the game is I'll try and keep my HP high, like anyone who has watched me play knows i prefer win streaking over loose streaking and building like a perfect comp with good items and all that i'll just take whatever is given to me i'll play the strongest board i can and i'll try and stay alive as long as i can 
And what often happens is I'll find myself at maybe 30 HP when everybody else is at like 18, let's say. And so that one, that little bit of extra HP that I've bought through either micro managing my positioning or like counting matchups and like sweating everything that's come before the game is buying me that one extra turn where everybody else dies and I don't have that chance of dying. So I think it's a it's a really big skill expression to be able to keep your HP slightly higher than everybody else's because that one turn matters. Makes yeah. a lot of sense. I, I think that like a lot of the sentiment, right? So for people who are like listening and maybe not necessarily have this pulled on screen, the person's like describing a scenario where they're win streaking a lot and they have a big HP lead. So they feel like they can actually bleed HP and then use that opportunity to roll down. And when they don't hit, let's say they're holding like two towns and two Morganas or they're playing Ash and they only have Ash one and they're just like slowly losing HP. They're shocked that they're not able to get that top four because people who are like on the bottom power spike when they hit Aphelios 3 or Aphelios 4 um, or hit Zed and, and and do the spirits or hit RE2 and just like spike like crazy. Um, and I thought this as well. Like I looked at this thread and I was like, like if you asked me a week and a half ago, I would have like 100% like, yes, damage needs to be changed. Like I don't <laughs> understand it. And I think like after the past like specific four days where I was very critical, I reviewed my own VODs almost like round by round. I think hiding is spot on. I think that like, the last statement specifically is where I take the biggest issue where it's like, you know, you, you, you don't, you don't hit on your level eight roll down. You become the weakest player and you lose the people who played the first 20 minutes worse than you. And I think that is something that is really easy to think and gravitate towards, but it's not true because there's people who have all kinds of different strategies going into, and you can't just say that you played the first 20 minutes better simply because of HP. That's it's, it's really not the case. Um, so, you know, I, a little bit of like self-critical thinking and like understanding like how different chosens work into it. Cause I think right now what's happening too, is that because chosens make you feel like it's pushed in a certain direction, you feel like logically you've played the best because you're playing what the game gave you, gave mm -hmm. off that chosen. And I think it's creating a lot of like com confirmation bias or recency bias effects where people think that they should be doing a lot better simply because they followed what the game gave them. Um, and traditionally, based off these tier lists and power levels, they should be doing well. But in set four, more than ever, you have to understand relative board strength more than any other set previously. It's so crazy with like the amount of variables with chosen mechanic um, of understanding your position in the lobby and what you need to do to get that top four. So there's, there's a lot that to like unpack from what I even just said, but I'll stop here because I know I, I'll just continue to rant for a long time. But <laughs> if you don't stop me, though. So Fair enough. So I, you know, you, you guys make it. Oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah. I just wanted to add something to it, to the end of that. So um, I would actually say that it, in the last patch, the one before this B patch, I would actually lean towards agreeing with this Reddit post just because um, usually what happens is if there are set comps that are just far and away more powerful than everything else with perfect items, aka Spirit Z, Spirit of Philios, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, this becomes a much bigger issue because what ends up happening is people will open fort, get the perfect items, hit the perfect units with all their gold, and then they'll just win the game, even though they were basically AFK. Um, I think that would be a bigger issue if there were more comps like that. But given that, it, or assuming that all the comps are relatively equal in terms of balance, I think whoever saves the highest HP will generally come out on top more often because there are more ways that they can play the end game rather than just trying to force their way into, for example, in set three, specifically six cyber or six rebel. And that kind of right. Like when I look at this, my, my first initial reaction when I looked at the thread was, oh, well, this guy just doesn't know how to transition out of the mid game, right? Because that's the typical, you know, result of knowing how to play the early game well, knowing what units are strong and what units you put together are strong in the early game, you know, through stage four, but then not knowing where to go from there. It's a very common thing with like newer players, right, in TFT. So when I read the first paragraph, I was like, oh, I know what's going on here. But, you know, then as I read through it, I started thinking about my own games. And like, I, I you know, I'm, I'm climbing, I'm climbing just fine this season. Um, I don't have any particular like salty takes on my own games to, uh, to draw from this. But I did think, you know, I really am noticing more people survive to the later rounds of the game. And so despite why that may be, that's kind of like what I started thinking about with this thread is like, do I want like seven out of the eight people alive at like five, six, you know, it's like, I kind of miss the good old days where you were just like smashing through people at the end of stage four, early stage five, like eliminating people left and right with your superior play and maneuvering. Right. Where it's like now 
everybody just it, in a lot of games, it seems like everybody just kind of gets there and then you have a big amount of people drop off really fast. And and I don't know, I don't know if I like that as much, you know? I kind of like the slow buildup of like th- what this person drops off here, then maybe you lose t- two people and you like slowly kind of narrow it down a little bit. And as people drop off, some things you've maybe been looking for to finish your comp become available again. I think that's a big part of having a lot of people survive to late game is that a lot of times you're like, all right, well, I'll just wait for this guy to die. And then I'll be able to like jump up to like top two maybe with this comp. And then they just like don't until it's too late. Um, so, so I agree with you guys, but my question is like, what do we, what do we want in TFT? Do we want a game where we have seven out of eight people survive to like six, one, or do we want a game where people do drop off before, uh, the Raptors sometimes? Uh, so I think, um, it used to be that way in like set one. And I believe like for part of set three, where people would just drop off much earlier and like maybe two or three people would already be dead by the time you even reach stage five. I think the downside to that is more so it's not so much that they're getting outplayed by everybody else. It's just that if you have a low roll opening, you just end up dying super fast. That's part of the thing. Yeah. I think that was a, a flaw from previous sets. And maybe one of the reasons why uh, TFT has sort of shifted into this, everybody stays alive and then like minor things might take you, push you from like a, a seventh to a third on 6-1, for example. Um, I, I don't know the correct answer to like what TFT should be like. All I can say is I personally haven't had too many issues with it just because I enjoy min-maxing the little bits of HP that you can scrape away during mid-game and having that be a factor in late-game put me far ahead of everybody else who hasn't put in the effort to do that rather than just sometimes getting a super low roll game and getting an eighth at like four, three completely outside of my. Right. I agree. Yeah. I think another thing too, is like calling the mid game ultra passive is I think, you know, chaining yourself down because the more we play, even the most recent patch, like right before this um, B patch, People rolling on seven. I see way too many people greeting to eight. And like it was like going to eight gave you a five percent buff to try to find your your tier fours, your your talents, your Morganas, your ashes, your ribbons. And people were like bleeding 30 to 40 HP just to like level when remember leveling costs more this set. So mm-hmm. I think like old habits die hard. And, and like to call the mid-game ultra passive, even right now, I think is a mistake for a lot of players who are looking to climb. If everyone's being passive, that's a time for you to potentially even exploit that and like be a little bit more aggressive, secure your HP lead. And also there's like, you know, hidden benefits from that, right? Like wind streaking or like other things related to that. So right. um, I I definitely like understand where this player is coming from. I felt like that in many moments. But like, I also think that uh, right now damage seems to be almost exactly where I want it to be. If anything, I, I kind of agree that like I don't really like when battles go too deep into stage seven. It's very rare. People seem to be dying a lot in stage six at the moment. Um, but I don't necessarily want to be like set two where you don't even get to see your items off of stage four. That felt bad. Yeah. I felt really, really bad, especially because you sometimes you get backloaded items, right? Like yeah. you get like yeah, for sure. two items for like all of stage two and three, and then stage four, you're like, okay, Raptors will save me, and then you just die before you even get a chance to get your like six item drive. It feels so uh, bad. Oh, yeah. True. If if anything, I could see like maybe a small damage shift away from stage six towards stage four specifically, but that's like probably the only thing I would touch about the damage. I, otherwise, aside from that, I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I the the big thing I disagreed with this too is just in the title of calling the mid game ultra passive because I think the chosen mechanic by itself makes the uh, mid game totally not passive uh, unless you're just resting on whatever first chosen you get and you're like, well, that's my chosen for the game. Because a lot of times, you know, the mid game is when you ditch the old one and you're searching for like a new one to potentially build around or you're looking for something specific. So yeah, I actually find the mid game very active compared to other sets. So, but aside from that, I thought there were some interesting points, but that was a good chat. Let's move on to talk about some uh, esports stuff. So uh, kiting is hard. You come to this show uh, a champion. A champion on Aegon.gg of uh, Mortog's 4v4 Madness. Uh, you guys won it, 117 to 88. Of course, the points don't matter that much. It was more about getting that first place after uh, reaching 80 points, which you guys did in uh, four games. So I guess just to start off, tell us about your experience in uh, in the tournament. How, how was it? Uh, I thought it was awesome, to be honest. Like I think it was the best tournament experience I've had so far out of all TFT. And wow. um, yeah. 
Uh, I, f- I found oh, like playing with a team to be way more statement. exciting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Out of all the TFT tournaments. I mean, <laughs> uh, there's, there's some at least. But still, like, I, I thought it was really cool. Some things that we did in the tournament that I wouldn't have even thought about doing in solo queue, for example, like coordinating, denying people certain units, right? Like every time we went into carousel, we'd scout like the first few picks and of, of like the enemy team and be like, hey, they, they're maybe looking for like a Sejuani or a Kane. We can deny those. They're looking for a bow or a rod. We could take those maybe. And it would be at a like, we, we would think like, is it worth like maybe taking a slightly worse item to deny them if they really needed it? I remember there was a game where uh, I think uh, we scouted out Ace had a cane and a Nico. There was a cane on Carousel with a belt. And I remember saying like, hey, we should take that cane just to make sure he doesn't get that cane too. And I think yeah. uh, Ace actually went to bottom four in that game. And that was like a small thing that we did just to push ourselves like small yeah. point leads everywhere. I think I think this format opens up a lot of opportunities for cool things like that to happen. So yeah, I really liked it. So you yeah. want to take this this beautiful individual play game and just turn it into another team game, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I wouldn't say like completely into a team game, like maybe not to the point where we get to pass each other units or items. But uh, yeah, having some team aspects to it, like some strategy revolving around multiple people rather than specifically like one versus seven is a really cool. Well, that's an interesting point you bring up, and and that I think that's something a lot of people aren't thinking about is that when you think about a possible future team mode in TFT, because there's been so much talk about it, you know, like you you really wonder. We don't know if they're making it or not, but you kind of wonder. But uh, a lot of people are talking about what they would add. But you know, as long as there's communication between the players, there's already quite a bit of depth to playing uh, TFT in a team format. Uh, Frodan, you, you got to watch some of this tournament. You've been involved, uh, in, in many, uh, tournaments as far as helping design the format and things like that. Uh, what did you think of 4v4? What are your kind of initial takes on that? Um, I think it's really fun. I I think these kinds of competitions are really great for the engaged TFT fan because it changes a lot of like the core gameplay element. Like Hiding talked about coordination on the carousel, which is like probably the most important thing about the 4v4 dynamic of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just makes like TFT fun because there's like a there's like an element where like you're invested to the very last round. A lot of times when you play TFT, you just kind of care about the moment you die, and that's it. And like maybe you can stay around and scout the other the comps if you're like really sweating that day, but like you're like ah, I'm just gonna move on, play another game. This makes you really want to see the exact standings and results all the way down and how teams were able to coordinate that. Right. Um, or even just manipulate things like matchmaking. They know there's a, there's like a two or three out of four chance to like match against a teammate, so they like purposely position a lot worse. That kind of stuff I think is like really unique because it gets you thinking about the game in a different way. So I think uh, kiting hit the nail on the head. I think it's good supplementary stuff. I think if this was to become a regular part of TFT esports, I would say that there should be like a singles competition and then like a, a teams competition. That'd right. be really fun to see like that well, how that you know affects the competitive scene. And lastly, it gives teams something to be interested in, right? TSM just signed Kiyun, uh, joining Kiting and Solus and Keen. And be so hyped to watch them compete as a team of four versus like Kurum and everyone else on Team Liquid with St. Vicious and all that. I think that's sick. And I think that like a lot of the endemic orgs would love that. And it's also very much on point for like the way Riot loves to support the organic uh, esports organizations that come from our scene. Um, so I would love to see more of this, and it's just so fitting that Mort Dog was like talking about and hyping up, and you were casting with Dilla because it, it just felt like a really fun tournament. I'm glad I got to ca- catch some of it. It was really fun. I, I'm sure we're gonna do more of them. We have to, right? Because it, it was a really great format. But what you touched on, Frodan, with the uh, with the appeal for teams to pick up players, mentioned you know kiting and and Kuhn picked up by TSM. Team Liquid has four players as well. Um, earlier in the year, I was at a Hearthstone event. And just talking to a lot of the pro players there about like what they wanted to see, like what could help grow their scene. And I was really surprised actually by how many of them emphasize we need team tournaments because that's what organizations care about. They want to have team tournaments to make it worth picking up players. And so if we really want an esport to grow in the strategy category, um, you know, we need to have team competition. And this makes a lot of sense. If you go back even to games like StarCraft, right? Because that's another solo competition as well. But what really started getting teams interested in players was things like Pro League in Korea um, and a lot of like team competitions as well. So throughout the history of esports, we've seen that solo strategy games, whether they're RTS or Auto Chess or card games, 
um, really do kind of need, it seems like, those team competitions to cause esports organizations to sign more players, which is just good for the scene, right? So I, I think going forward, that's something that, you know, if I were Riot and if I were other TOs and things like that, I'd really be emphasizing is more team tournaments because, and then, uh, you know, trying to get more organizations to, you know, see that and pick up players because more players are signed by teams, better the scene is doing, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I'm not sure if that should be the main way we see TFT, right? Like, you don't want... No, I, I wouldn't. You can't really play TFT unless you have three friends. Like that's already like a big barrier to entry. It's necessary uh, but, for the esports side of things, but definitely not necessary yeah. for the game itself. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I, I actually think that because like seeing such a team dynamic play out between teams is a really big part of esports as well, right? You want to cheer on your favorite team and you want to support right. your favorite players. I think like adding a team dynamic, even if the game itself isn't specifically built around that. So for example, if even if they don't put out a 4v4 format specifically coded into the game, I think having a tournament built around this 4v4 style, like the current or the recent one rather, was uh, is a it's just a good idea. It's a great way to see to get people invested mm -hmm. in storylines and stuff. Another thing that uh, to be considered too is that like team competition elevates individual competition as well. Uh, you know, using StarCraft as an example, it was really fun to see all these great individual players work together on a team, you know, talk strategy, things like that. They weren't in the game together, but they were coaching each other. They were practicing together. They had like orders of like, all right, we're going to you're going to play against this guy. So you're going to use this build order against him. Like if you play against this guy. So there was a lot of team strategy that went into it. But then you fast forward to other individual tournaments. Now you've got these teammates playing against each other and there's that whole dynamic of you seeing them interact as allies and now seeing them as adversaries and sort of the mind games that start to enter into that. So that's another thing to keep in mind is that the team side of things makes the individual side even better, right? And I, I think uh, ultimately Teamfight Tactics is an individual competitive game. You're competing as one person, right? When you're on the ladder most of the time. But having uh, team tournaments, I think is going to really kind of bring everything up. I don't know if there's anything more we need to add to that. Um, unless any of you have any other thoughts on it? On the on Mort Dog uh, Madness itself or just on the concept of teams? Not much. I'd love to see more team tournaments come out. Okay. Yeah, me too. Would you prefer 4v4 or what do you think about uh, 2v2s? So I actually think 4v4 would be a bit better. Just have like an A team versus B team in a single game dynamic, mm. right? It's a much easier to follow as well. So you don't, you're not keeping track of like, a versus B this round versus A versus D next round, like that kind right. of thing. It's a little hard to follow. I like the idea of just one side versus another. So we did that EU tournament uh, at Giant Slayer where initially it was 2v2, v2, v2. Um, and then the very last day was 4v4. And it was, uh, I, I, the 4v4 dynamic did seem more interesting, but it did seem like the stakes were higher when there was only two players from each team on there, you know, because then if you, bottom seven and eight then that's much worse for your team than if you just like have you know two in the bottom and like two in the top right you know maybe yeah. you take third fourth and seventh eighth right so that's also another thing to add and like to it's another thing to say that 44 does better than 2v2 um is that it reduces the variance that can come into play in specific rng games like this where like maybe one or two games, if you have two players only, they might go eight and seven, even if they're really good players, just because they got unlucky or whatever, and they get knocked out immediately. While if you have a 4v4 format, maybe if one person gets unlucky, it's a lot harder for everybody to get unlucky in that same game, right? True. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Time. All right. Well, uh, we're moving right along. This this episode's moving pretty quick. Uh, let's go on to the mailbag. We'll, we'll ask you some questions, then we'll do the tier list. I know everybody's looking forward to that. But uh, the first question for you, uh, Kiting is hard. Uh, thoughts on Riven in the current meta? I used to play her a whole bunch last patch, but Dusk do... Oh, my, my chat's covering it. Dusk doesn't seem as consistent anymore. Thank you, yeah. Turkey Sub. What's, uh, what, what do you got to say about that? So I actually still really like playing Riven. If anybody checks my match history, it's going to be mostly Dusk. Uh, I still think Dusk is super flexible to build around. I really like the openings. I think uh, Cultist Keeper is by far and away still the best opening, if you can hit it, of course. Mm -hmm. um and all the pivots that go into dusk is it's it's a higher skill cap comp than most of the other comps that we've seen in the past maybe something like kale chrono would be similar to it in set three um 
yeah, I, I just enjoy playing the comp. I still think Riven is good. I think you have to build her a bit differently now. I think mm -hmm. instead of going just throwing tank items on her and carrying something else, you actually need to invest maybe an AP item plus like a blue buff if you can onto her. Um, also, another thing, I would prefer putting blue buff on Riven over Kane, just a small thing. Uh, just in general, the dust comp has so many options late game that I think I still think it's a very strong comp for top flooring and climbing in this meta. Yeah, it's it's actually my most played comp so far since uh, launch too, and and it's it's really fun to see all the little like late game additions you can move around, like what you can build around four dusk versus six dusk. If you get dusk Jin, it's just like game over because he's so good, and uh, you know it's just fun to see like champions like Cassiopeia pop off, right? Froden, yeah. what do you think about Riven? You Riven fan? Um, Riven's really complicated. Uh, I I love where Riven is. You know, I'm a big fan of you know Kale uh, from set three. I'm a big fan of Summoner Assassins from set two. Like these kinds of comps, which are extremely fluid based off like how the 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 game state's evolving, what you're hitting, what other people are hitting, and what you need in the lobby is like particularly fascinating. So I really like what Riven's doing. Um, I really like the rule of thumb that Soju said, which is if you're always kind of worried about how to itemize Riven, just like based on how well, how, how good the rest of your comp is, like the more dust you get or the, the earlier you're hitting Jin, the less you mm -hmm. need damage on her. Just build more tanky stuff. Um, sure. And I think that like that kind of like rules of thumb is easy to even hear. And then when you're in game, you like make those mistakes anyways. So it's like, it's really fascinating. Uh, Kiting's a profile that I actually really studied for Riven because he was like kind of ma mainly playing Dusk Riven for a while. Um, and I think there's a lot to learn. So if there's one comp that, you know, can teach a ton of fundamentals for uh, for TFT that scales all the way to Challenger and you want to, like, master it, I would highly, highly recommend playing a Dusk Riven style. Definitely. Let's move on to the next question. It is, uh, how much is from uh, Bonapolet? Bonapple Tea. Ah, I yeah. see what they did there. Or Bonapple Tea? I don't know. How do you how do you misspell a meme that's already based on misspelling? You know, <laughs> it's like it's it's like it's meta. It's very meta, right? Because the meme is a misspelling of a phrase, and this is a misspelling of the misspelling of the phrase. So wow, I'm just like, I it's like Inception. I have to stop going deep right now. How much value, and more so, what values do you get out of playing a lot of uh, PBE preset? Also, you've said it yourself, but I'm curious what you feel your issues are later in the sets as you seem to drop a little bit later, but are always really good at the start of each set. There's a lot to unpack there. Where, where do you want to start? <laughs> uh, so I'll start off by saying um, I think practicing on PvE is just strictly better than not practicing on PvE for TFT. I mean, if you want to be good at TFT, obviously playing more is going to be better than playing less. So that's a, a small like a small thing that's one of my pet peeves is when people kind of like pick on some of the top players for saying like oh you have so many games played and you're only like you're you're high rank but you have so many games played to get to that rank. I think that that's just not like a really fair thing to say. They're playing the game, they're enjoying the game and they're getting better. And yeah. if you played that many games and you're at that rank, well that means you got better and you got to that rank either way. So that's just a a small thing, but I would say playing on PvE preset has extremely high value if you want to come out the gate at like come out the gate swinging, you know, you, if you want to really hit the, the top five, top 10 early in the set, it, it's definitely important to do. Um, it's obviously like, I, I personally learned, I think I learned pretty quickly. So um, I didn't spend too much time I, playing PvE this cycle. I think I spent a lot more time in set three, but I definitely enjoyed this set a lot more. So I was playing a lot of PvE because, I mean, I had fun playing the game. And if you have fun playing a game, you're going to play the game. Yeah. And uh, some of my issues later in the set. So I do drop a little later in the set. Usually, that that that's a trend that has happened in the past. Um, I will say it's not usually because I uh, of a mistake I'm making in TFT. It's mostly because I get distracted playing stuff like Path of Exile on the side. I last <laughs> league there was a Harvest League, which was like uh, it's a it's a whole another thing. I'm not going to get into it, but basically I enjoyed the league so much that I basically spent. 30 to 40 hours straight just playing that game over and over and i kind of neglected tft on the side so that, that happens to the best of us yeah it definitely contributed to my uh my dropping in, later in the set but for the most part i think in set one and two i definitely stayed top 20 if not top 10 i've always hovered like in high challenger i haven't really like put too much effort into holding rank one or anything but uh this set's gonna change the set i'm putting in the effort uh no more path of exile no more, not too much Path of Exile, at least. <laughs> so, yeah. 
You said that and then you immediately backtrack. On it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, appreciate that. I appreciate the I, honesty. Yeah. I said I wouldn't play Path of Exile. You know, I wanted to check it out just a little bit. I'm sure I won't get addicted this league, though. I don't think this league is as much fun as the last one. But yeah. I feel like we just have to cut to like a, um, oh man, uh, curb your enthusiasm, like black screen, where it's yeah. just like, no. And then he played Path of Exile all set long. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, I think it's time to move on to everybody's favorite section. It's a tier list time. Let's have you rank people in a way that will surely help you win more friends and influence top pro gamers. Mm, Here is our okay. uh, top 10 player list for NA and uh, have at it. All right. So this one's tough because you can value people based off their current like placements versus all the way throughout like all the sets. But I think at number one, definitely milk. I think Milk has proven time and again, he's always at the top. You know, he consistently reaches it. Low games played, uh, high placements every game. Just mm-hmm. overall an insane player. I think, uh, hmm, number two, probably Soju. I think Soju has also proven that wow. he's he always sits at the top. You know, this set especially, he came out the gate swinging. He, uh, he got first in the, uh, the earlier tournament. I forgot what it was called, but he got like a... It was like NA versus EU or something. He was the only NA player to make it past the first stage. And then he took home the first place. I think Soji's definitely done really well. Um, for third, this set, I would say I'm third this set. I, I think I come out a consistent third. Okay. I think uh, it's it's modest enough, you know, I didn't put myself at, like all the way at the top. But I definitely think I have a good grasp <laughs> of what's going on. I think um, uh-huh. overall, like if you check my Masters 3, it's a lot of top fours. Very rarely bottom fours. Generally a good trend, right? Checking right so, now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure. Hmm. Who comes next? Next is probably Aegon. I think Aegon slept on. Honestly, signed this guy to a team already. He's insane player. Just super flexible. Always knows what to do in every situation. Like when I watch him play, he just pulls out these insane pivots that I would never think of. He'd roll like 40 gold and buy all these units that I would never use and put them on the board and somehow start winning. He's an absolutely insane player. Undefeated um, in Mort Dog tournaments too, by the way. That too, yeah. Insane <laughs> tournament player. So, uh, you know, the orgs want the the results. Uh, pick them up. Yeah. That's true. Fifth, fifth is... Hmm. I would say fifth is Grand Vice. I think Grand Vice is a, a player that's just always very good at knowing like how to keep his board strong. He's very consistent with his pivots. He's never like I never look at his board and be like, "Wow, what are you doing?" You know, like every time he has like two stars on his board, he's strong. He's got decent econ. He knows what he's doing for sure. And he's uh, he's been doing pretty well this set as well. And he's a teammate of mine in uh, Aegon.gg. So uh, I think six, we're gonna throw it up there. Solus, you know, Solus. All right, all right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we gotta we gotta support our team here. So Solus, uh, I would say his strength is reroll comps. He is very very good. At, uh, so, like, every day when I see him, I'll say, like, good morning, Solus. And uh, I'll tell him, like, hey, you're doing really well today. Keep going. Keep doing you, you know. He can roll 60 gold for an Aphelios comp in a blink of an eye. Like, if you if you ever saw him roll for any real comp that he has practiced, uh-huh. I, I don't even see the shop. And he's already, like, bought the units in it and gone, and he's already pressed the... He's a really smart player as well, I think. I know. I think he knows, like how to balance gold versus like what he expects to hit later on. So like, he'll always have a tally of like, Hey, I need like about 40 gold to hit. I need about 50 gold to hit. I think he's very good at doing that. Hmm. And then seven to 10, it's hard to, it's hard to pick an order here. You know, I would say, right, cause you're at the point where you're probably going to insult somebody. Yeah. You already have. I'm trying to, I'm trying to cycle have, on. Yeah. I'm sure I already have. <laughs> um, let's say seventh is Kiyun. I think Kyun is also a player that's okay. like Solus. He knows how to keep his econ super high while maintaining his strength and still be able to hit a comp with a reasonable HP. He's a very well-known real player, obviously. Like I think he was one of the best mech players, if not the best mech player last mm-hmm. set, and he's been doing well with Aphelios this set. Um, always top of the ladder, you know, always doing very well. Yeah, I'd say Kyun is seventh. seventh. I'd say okay. Kurum for sure. Now, now I feel like I should have squeezed Kurum hmm. higher. But uh, well, you can Kurum move things sure. around a bit. You can always move things if you want to. It's true. Mm. Uh, I'll just throw it up there and be like, you know, it's a rough like top ten. You know, it's <laughs> not not too ordered. All right. Okay, so Kurum, you think he's Kurum, good, but you don't. You're not really that like hard set on him needing to be moved. He's like, yeah, could be because, eighth, like, I guess maybe I think, he's hard. Um, but he's, 
you're okay with him at eighth. Yeah, I think this set he's been <laughs> okay. uh, he's been a little a little slower starting, you know, like he's been taking his time, you know, exploring the depths of Challenger, you know, getting accustomed <laughs> to this, you know? All right. He's setting up his territory, but I'm sure he'll reach top 10 and like eventually rank one again. Kern's always uh-huh. very consistent consistent player. I like in set 2, set 3, I learned the most from Kern's stream. I hung out in his stream all the time. I watched it the most. I I dig through his vlogs to see what he's doing because I think he's a overall a super well-rounded player. Um now, now I wish like I could fit more names in the top five. You know, I'd say uh, ninth, let's put with, let's go with socks. I think socks, like so. I haven't really seen socks play that much this set, which is why I didn't put hmm. him higher. But in the previous sets, you know, socks has hit rank one, rank two simultaneously. He's always been like a like. I've also learned a lot from him in set three when he was teaching me about like like I I uh, I asked him to walk me through a couple games, and uh it amazed me that he knew like he had a completely different approach on the game, which actually helped me improve for set four as well. Basically like instead of viewing everything as a set comp and like tunneling for specific units to finish off certain synergies, he basically told me like, Hey, just play a strong front line, play a strong back line, pick good items, good balance of defense and offense, and you'll win the game. And uh, I feel like Sox has done a lot to help me out as well. And I think he, he just has a very good understanding of how TFT should be played. I think uh, he can see the board for like, like he's he's very good at putting together a strong comp and yeah I I mean I guess you could say that about all the top players right like they're all good at they all should strong be at boards. this point yeah. yeah yeah I think everybody's good enough at that. If you want to know a um, fun fact, Sox has more games played on his account than you do. This really? So Whoa. I actually have not seen. You just said Sox he hasn't seen all. it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's probably because we play at different times. You know, I have kind of a degen uh, sleep schedule. Uh, While Sox yeah. is a very well adjusted human being, he has a job. You know, he's or somebody's elo is a lot. Society, yeah, yeah, you guys play at different elos. Yeah, yeah I, was gonna oh, say. I don't know about elos. I mean, I don't even think it's elos. I get in games with like all diamond players all the time. It happens matchmaking is just matchmaking. Well, I wasn't expecting mm. you immediately to say you were the one with the lower elo, but like, all right. Well, I mean. <laughs> I've been doing okay. <laughs> not not amazing, but okay. Let's see. It's it so hard for people to catch you, Cody, because the LP inflation. Uh, oh, yeah. This this set is actually crazy. There's a plus 10 for fourth place. That's absolutely nuts. Hmm. So I've been sticking with NA for a while here. I think I got to swap it over to EU. It's an NA tier list, but no okay, does it count? Does it count if Dasik is playing on NA? Because he is playing on NA, yeah. and he has a very he's like top ten. He has a top ten account in NA. I mean, does that not count? Should I stick with more games too. All it's right, I'll, I'll give a special. I'll give a special shout out to Dasik. Wow. In, uh, in EU, because Dasik Dasik is just a beast. Like he is top ten legion betrayals. Yeah, no, he is absolutely insane at the game. Like, if, when you watch him play, he just knows everything that's going on. Um, let's see, tenth. Hmm, I'm just scrolling down the. So this is the the honorable NA mention is Dasik, but you want to put yeah. a real NA player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we, well, we want to put a real okay. NA player All right. on tenth. We'll, we'll accept that. <laughs> hmm. Okay, so I think I'm actually gonna put one that I haven't seen really on any other tier lists. Uh, Keen. So not. Uh, uh, Keen wow. or Kien. Kien, Kien or Kien. No, no, no. Right. I meant to say Kien. He wants to stay on the team. He just um, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Not Kien. I mean Kien. Because oh. Kien, Kien isn't even NA, right? Like, not technically. Yeah. Like, sure, sure. Yeah, that's true. Um, so K-I-E-N. I think, uh, K-I-E-N. Yeah, K-I-E-N. I think uh, I've, I've always seen him at the top of the ladder. I, like... I, I remember in set one when I first started playing, he was top of the ladder as well. He's two accounts in top ten or something. Set two, same thing. Set three, same thing. Like I always see him at the top of the ladder. I never see him like really fall off at any point. He's just super consistent player. And yeah, I haven't really watched him, his streams or anything, but I mean, whenever he's in my game, he seems to do perfectly fine. So yeah, give him a shout out at ten. Okay, well, it's a it's a cool tier list. Like uh, I'm trying to think of. Of uh, anyone that's missing from there that I would I would throw on there, but I don't know what what about a player like uh like Saint or something like that? Oh yeah, so Saint so Saint has a playstyle very different from mine, so I don't really know how to evaluate how good he is as a player. I know oh. he really likes saving as much money as he can, right? Like mm-hmm. I always see him level eight fifty gold throughout the game, and I'm I th- that is a skill in itself. It's really amazing to see how he can have a real board and still be like super rich 
and mm-hmm. there's me with like five gold at like four one trying to like scrape together a board. <laughs> but yeah, I I mean there's only ten spots. I just can't like spit out the names that I thought up first. But yeah, Saints definitely also a very good player for sure. Well, Ubermunch and Chat brings up one of my favorite players, so I'll, I'll ask you about him as well since we got a couple minutes. Uh, how about Polt? Speaking of a player that likes to play uh, aggressive, uh, what what's your take on him? So Polt. Pult's playstyle is like literally the exact opposite of Saint, which is what I just described, yes. right? It's the saving money. He'll go all in. He'll level 7-3-2. He'll just put a strong board on the field to win as much as possible. And I think um, while his playstyle was very effective earlier on when everyone was saving as much money as possible to hit specific comps, I think this set it is falling off a little bit because at some point, not having enough econ will cause problems, right? Like at some point, you're not going to be able to transition from the mid-game phase where you have all these strong three star two cost or two star three costs rather um you're not going to be able to pivot that into your two star five costs which you generally want to have by the end of the- so i still think Polt sure. is a very good player he knows like he knows a lot about specific positioning and like matchups and that kind of thing especially in set three which is where we i think we everyone saw him shine the most um i would say that if he were to just be willing to greed a little bit more econ like have a little bit more of a greedy play style i think we would just see him shoot straight to the top but yeah He's still definitely a very good player. Can I ask another question follow-up? Yeah, Uh, sure. You know, how do you really, like, place a bunch of these players who do really well in, like, ladder slash solo queue? Um, You know, DQA right now is in chat talking about he's number one. Uh, You also have people who are, like, good at tournaments like Marcus, Robin Songs, Cottontail. Like, so how do they ever crack your top ten list, Kiting? Like, because it feels Mm. like these uh, people that we talk to seem to be pointing at the same top 10, but yet when other people are able to put up results, whether on ladder and tournaments, what's going to take it for them to crack top 10 for you? So I think it's a matter of consistency, right? Like it's, Mm. I always see these names at the top of the ladder. I've known them for like, honestly, the entire time since TFT has come out, I look at the ladder, I see these names shuffle in like random orders, but occasionally there will be some people that break into the top right in a patch or two. Like maybe, like for example, during the mech patch, I believe there was, I think it was top five on the ladder, all played mech. And they were all mech one tricks, 20 out of 20 mech. So, like, in certain patches, obviously, some people are going to have an edge. I think the the ones that crack the list are the ones that manage to stay on top for an extended period of time. And right. so, like, for example, DQA, like, obviously, great player, right? He's rank one. I think he's rank one global right now. Obviously, a great player. Um, I've seen him at the top of the ladder before. But, like, I haven't really seen him hover top five for, like, longer than maybe two or three weeks to a month since the second, however long that was. So it's DQA, uh, if you wanna if you wanna hit my you know reach like a, break into my <laughs> list, stay up there, you know, just uh stay stay top ten. Easy class. Yeah. Just just hit. Yeah, just, just do hit. top ten. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's, a, it's a good thing. Cause I I do feel like we're going to eventually see this list shift, especially as some people's priorities continue to change. Like some people obviously are gonna continue pursuing more streaming, some people are gonna be really competitive. Right. For sure. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. So before we close it out, uh, final thoughts, kiting is hard. Any shout outs you want to make, your new team, something like that. Uh, I, I don't know. Not not to push you in any direction, but it's, it's up to you. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, shout out to uh, Aegon.gg where you can get a super <laughs> affordable, nice shark plushie. <laughs> I was thinking of a different yeah. team, but it, okay. It's... <laughs> yeah. Also, shout out to TSM. You know, very grateful that they decided to pick me up. But, you know, the Aegon.gg actually gave me a shark plushie. So, you know. Wow. Just uh, just saying that's a it's a great opportunity if you haven't reached out yet. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, uh Frodan, any parting thoughts for our show today? Um now just uh make sure to check out some Fight Night action for Giant Slayer. They actually have a really stacked lineup this week. Uh Yeah. I actually want to read it. I've seen it actually. It's going to have Sphinx, uh Soju, Raditz, Emily Wang, Doubles, Treebeard, uh, the Hentai God, and Loco Doco making his first appearance. Loco Doco, hey, uh, fun! I saw Kiting. <laughs> I, I watched the stream where Kiting was coaching Loco. Seemed like uh, Loco has always a great mind when it comes to learning. He's very humble about it, and knows his place. And I, I want to see him be able to put it into action because it'd be fun. Well, because if anything that we love more than uh, watching Loco succeed is memeing him too, if he doesn't. Yeah. So. I, I don't know if it, if humble is ever a, a, an adjective I'd use to describe Loco Doco, but I, I am happy to see him doing well in TSM. I've known him for many, many years, and it's it's cool to see him succeed <laughs> in, a, in another game. The very first time I met Loco, he introduced me, he introduced himself to me. This was 2012. 
as uh, the best ADC in the world. <laughs> it's, which at the time, you know, arguably he may have been, but still, you know, but hey, much, much love to Loco. But uh, that's going to do it for us today from a team fight talk show. Uh, I am Doa Frodan uh, with me as always. And thanks again to TSM Kiting is Hard for joining us on the show today. Make sure you watch Fight Night tomorrow night, as uh, Frodan mentioned. Other than that, keep an eye on the Giant Slayer Twitter because there's going to be a lot of great stuff coming in the future. Until then, enjoy the latter or or unranked if if you're you know a weakling, but mostly enjoy the latter. And uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Bye.